What's going on, everybody? My name is Adil Constantine. And I'm Genki Hagata. And this is The Creative Dads, which is a podcast to inspire you and help you exercise your creativity in all kinds of ways. And on this episode, we are having our first guest, who is a successful creative director who can share uh, some of his tips on how you can stand out as a designer and an artist. All right. So uh, on this episode, we actually have a guest with us. Um, and he's a friend of Genki, right? Yep. You guys work together, I believe, um, at uh, Huge? Yep, that's correct. Yep. So uh, John and I worked together at Huge for a while. I don't remember how long. John, do you remember how long we were together there? Uh, a year and eight months. Cool. Awesome. Awesome. So, um, and just to clarify, it's John Delman. Did, did I say it right? Yep. John Delman. Awesome. He's using David E-L-M-A-N. <laughs> Perfect. Um, well, let's go ahead and get started by just telling us a, a brief, I don't know, summary of your your creative work, your history at Huge, and what do you do for a living? Okay. Well, um, I'll start with the last question and sort of go backwards. Um, right. I am currently a group creative director at Beyond, which is an agency, a digital agency in San Francisco. Um, nice. I am primarily running the Google account there. Um, my team exists in San Francisco, Austin, as well as our New York office. Um, from I recently started there. I've been there for about two months before that. Like we said earlier, I worked with Genki as the creative director at Huge for about a little under uh, a year and three quarters. Um, uh, my background has, I've been doing this for about 20 years. I started in way old timesy times in 1997. Um, and as a cold fusion developer, if anybody remembers those, um, I did <laughs> yep. it right out of college. Nobody knew even what that meant. Um, a friend of mine who ended up being my mentor, uh, basically gave me a job in San Luis Obispo, uh, doing hospital intranet and internet sites. Um, I transitioned into being a designer. Um, I've, I've been in and out of product and agency since then, uh, working with clients such as Panasonic. When I worked at Phelps Group, I worked a brief stint at Realtor.com as a user interface designer when that was a, a, a term that people used. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and then I became an art director when I moved back up to San Luis Obispo. Uh, I worked on um, the Apple account at Level Studios. I was embedded in Cupertino traveling from San Luis Obispo to Cupertino a number of times for product launches. Um, then I also worked on the BlackBerry account, the Samsung account as an associate creative director. And then I eventually went over to um, MindBody, which is a software company in San Luis Obispo as their creative director and head of marketing design before I came up to uh, Oakland or East Bay uh, to work at Huge, uh, right as I had my first child, Max, which is probably why we're talking to me because I am <laughs> a creative and I am a dad. That's yeah. awesome. Um, go ahead, Genki. Were you going to say something? I was just going to say it's it's kind of interesting. Like we've taken a little bit different of a path. Like I started as a designer and then transitioned into a developer and you started as a cold fusion developer and transitioned into, you know, <laughs> art director, now creative director. Um, was there how, how long were you a developer for? Uh, about a year, um, okay. but this is in 1997 when you kind of had to do everything. So yeah, right. um, we were basically teaching ourselves as everything was coming out. I mean, this was back when Flash was owned by Macromedia. 
Um, Cold Fusion was owned by Allaire, Jeremy Allaire, actually. Um, and wow. then they merged. Uh, Myacromedia bought Cold Fusion and Homesite and then merged with Adobe much later. Um, I taught myself how to code on Dreamweaver, uh, yep. Dreamweaver 1, actually. Oh, Same here. Um, Back on I Macromedia had stock days. in Macromedia. <laughs> yeah, I had early stock in Macromedia. Wow. Um, I taught myself how to use Photoshop when I think it was Photoshop 3. Oh, um, nice. Everything was basically view source online, look at stuff that was out there. I lived on Macromedia Flash site of the day. Um, <laughs> And I've just always enjoyed that. I enjoyed that sort of Wild West, um, exploratory, experimental code plus design, you know, to try and solve something that no one's solved before or just really engage people in a unique way. It's uh, the excitement has never really left me, to be honest with me. And I, I never thought that I'd stay with a career as long as I've stayed with this one. <laughs> nice. But I've I've still enjoyed it. I still get just as much of a kick out of it. Uh, today as I ever have before so awesome yeah and it's funny like till till now you can still see especially with the with the new startups you'll have people like that who are kind of doing everything <laughs> you know they'll do the design and develop at the same time and just kind of uh, learn as you go uh, for me I started as a developer I'm still a developer I wish I can um, <laughs> get into the fun side of designing but I'm just not a good designer <laughs> let's just be honest here <laughs> And, that, oh. and that's actually why I got out of development. I was, I was okay at it. Um, I'm n I wasn't obviously a career choice for me. Um, I really did enjoy design. I really do enjoy visual work. I have since I was a little kid, uh, drawing and just I was all about visual stuff. Um, and then I got into Flash, and I thought I was going to do that for a career, after a really brief stint uh, using Director. Um, and then it got very code based as well. I think around flash five, mm -hmm. um, was probably the last flash I used. And that's when there was no longer a WYSIWYG kind of way of doing it. And you had to actually do your own action scripting right. and, uh, actually know something about code, which I just didn't know how to do. And it was just too technical. Mm -hmm. And my heroes were people like Joshua Davis, who is just like amazing at that stuff. Nice. It's just not where my brain was at. And I was just much better at the, the visual stuff than I was at the code stuff. Awesome. Awesome. Now I know. So just for those to clarify some of those roles for the people that are listening, uh, just for example, you mentioned art director, creative director and designer. Can you just kind of give a, a brief summary, the difference between these um, positions, I guess? Yeah, it's a part of the sort of uh, creative uh, lifespan, so to speak. So um, obviously agency is very different than product. There's different titles. Um, there's passe titles. You know, every every era has their own very clever, witty titles. But um, if we're going to be really strict about it, um, a visual design title mapping basically goes from visual designer to senior visual designer to art director to senior art director to associate creative director um, to creative director, to um, uh, group creative director, which is what I'm at now. And then I believe there's executive creative director and to chief creative officer. Um, the nuance between them is, is a few things. So obviously experience makes a huge difference. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's sort of a lifespan. Um, also the, the type of work you do. So a designer is very much an individual contributor on an individual project, being part of a team typically, um, taking oversight from an art director, 
um, and ultimately from a creative director on a very large project or multi-project basis. An art director um, is um, somewhere in between individual contribution and people management across a single project, the senior art director, art director split is basically the number of projects that that person would oversee. An art director, typically a single project, senior art director, multiple projects. Um, gotcha. A associate creative director and creative director are a little bit more nuanced. Um, associate creative directors um, often oversee maybe groups, um, um, groups of art directors or multiple projects within a, a single client. Um, a creative director will see an entire account or maybe an entire department. Um, a group creative director sees multiple offices or a very, very large account. Um, I oversee Google and I oversee multiple offices, thus the group creative director thing. Um, executive creative director starts to become into more about account growth and agency operations and full-on uh, agency, you know, the, the, the inner workings. And chief creative officer is obviously the highest um, uh, level you can get in sort of the creative field, um, uh, at least on the agency side. Um, uh, the uh, often, like on product, that's typically called head of design, or VP of design, or senior VP of design. Uh, but basically, that person is the end-all, be-all of design for that agency or product group. So at that at that upper end, that VP and C-suite level, are is that more business focused? There's not so much actual art making. True. So um, there are only so many hours in the day. Um, and um, it, that transition from individual contributor to uh, people manager pretty much happens full stop at around associate creative director. That's usually when you make that decision of I want to be a craft person. And that's typically a design director's path where you're very much still in the craft. You're still in designing, you're still in doing uh, design oversight, or you say, I want to be a creative director and I want to uh, own full projects. I want to own the strategy around that. I want to own the messaging, or I want to just be doing uh, multiple oversight. At my level, I don't do a lot of individual contribution. Um, that does not mean I don't do anything during the day. I wish. Um, basically, my job is to steer the department. Um, I spend a lot of time in career paths, career mentorship, um, thinking about things, all, all things Google a lot of the time uh, about where we're going on account growth. Um, how can our agency be solving problems for our client? Um, other group creative directors do similar things. Um, I do manage uh, senior art directors and creative directors um, who are on individual projects or individual groups of projects, but I am not in the weeds. So that's a, it's very correct to say that um, you don't get to do a lot of design at my level, um, but that does not mean you don't get to do a lot of impact on design. Um, it's just a very different part of my brain that I get to do. And actually, to be honest with you, it's more challenging than an individual contributor um, just because of the multiple things I have to balance. It's a, it's a big job of balance. Um, and that's why I enjoy it so much because every day is completely different than the next. There's no common days in my life. Nice. And now with a child, even less common days. <laughs> Absolutely. Life, so. I'm sure. Yeah. I was going to say like, since you're spending so, I guess, little time at work doing like hands-on creative stuff, you know, like actually designing things. Does that mean now, or like as you've transitioned to be creative director outside of that individual contributor role that you're doing more side projects outside of work to kind of 
get out your, you know, your ideas? Yeah, yes and no. Um, so at work, I'm absolutely very busy, like just um, setting up our shop to run efficiently to get new work. That uh, crafting job descriptions, working on our recruiting pipeline. I spend a lot of time in resourcing all the sexy, fun stuff that everybody always wants to do as a creative director. <laughs> I get to do that. Um, when I come home, you're right. There, uh, there is a creative itch that I always feel the need to scratch. Um, that shows up in my dribble site. I'm a big yeah. fan of mid-century modern design. Um, that would be like Mary Blair kind of stuff, house industries kind of stuff, um, geometric patterns. I'm just yep. a geek for those sort of things. So I like to experiment a lot with those things. Um, after becoming a dad, that has actually accelerated a lot. Um, oh, really? Children's books, children's clothes, children's toys are all about the It's a Small World, which is my favorite mm -hmm. Disney ride. That sort of... <laughs> primary colors mid-century modern thing is a very much childlike kind of design uh, it's not non-complicated it's very complicated and takes a real refined way of doing work but i have loads of ideas of things i want to do now that i never would have thought of right um yeah. we watch a lot of pixar films we yeah. watch a lot of stupid baby movies and shows on youtube we read a lot of books all the night um mm -hmm. so and i'm just influenced by just things i never thought of before um it's a really different perspective on art that i never would have been to be honest i never would have been exposed to without um living the life with a child all the time uh, so i think it's it's quite interesting to see me as an artist change because of having a kid yeah i feel the same way and i, I think yeah it's very much reflected in the artwork that i've done for this podcast it's getting that same influence from all the all the designs you see on kids' clothes, those kind of loose illustrations, the kind of all the fun that happens in your, the design work done for kids. Definitely, again, stuff that I never would have really been exposed to or considered doing myself if I didn't have a kid. I'm also exposed to things online that, like, I would have thought, eh, that's pretty cool. Like the um, Google did uh, in conjunction with the zoo, which is a part of Google, uh, working with North Kingdom, did uh, a little website called Be Internet Awesome. And it's teaching kids how to be safe online through games and like how to how to create passwords and like um, anti-bullying. And I would have like said, oh, that's very cool. But I never really thought much about it. And now it's like my favorite website because it makes my my boy giggle really? and I love the artwork. <laughs> and it just made me really think of like how can design change the world? Like how can I actually fix things? Um, whereas before, um, it was only sort of there in the back of my mind occasionally. I, I loved projects where I actually did get to change the world, really make an impact. That's why I migrated towards Google specifically. I really like solving large problems on a global scale for real human beings. That's a big driver of why I do what I do. But I never really thought about like what's important in in child development and kids online. I never really thought about it. Now I'm like, as a parent, I'm terrified. You know, my, my kid's only 16 <laughs> months old, but I'm still terrified of like, what is the online world like? And how can we help teach our kids how to be good internet stewards and, you know, be basically internet awesome. And like sites like that are super inspirational to me. So I'm, I'm exposed to things I never would have been exposed to before. 
Yeah, this is awesome. I actually never heard of this, but yeah, thanks for sharing. I'm looking at it right now. I'm like, this is so cool. I want to like go back and <laughs> check it out later. Um, yeah, I'll have to put it in the show notes for sure because I want to yeah. take a look at it. Um, and it's funny that, you know, I was totally like usually what you hear from people like, oh, yeah, I used to do all these things, but now I have a kid. It's like I don't have time for that, you know, but it seems like your kid is actually, you know, is opening a different, um, you know, part of your creativity just because you're exposed to the you know child stuff but let's let's go back to the time thing like uh, how do you manage your time how do you make sure that you have um, enough time for uh, work uh, family your kid and you know exploring your creative side I think uh, I don't have any more time than anybody else and probably if I really broke it down I probably have less time than I think but I I make sure that I'm uh, I'm compartmentalizing and I'm really in each moment when I wake up and I go, I, you know, I travel into the city. I live in the East Bay. Um, I got a nice 45 minutes on BART. That's my waking up, thinking about things, time, headphones, audiobook. When I'm at work, I'm literally, I'm at work. I'm focused at it. It is no other distractions. I'm not, I'm not in a multiple other places. Everything is, I go into meetings at full focus when I leave work, I go once again, I get a 45 minute commute home. That's my decompression because when I get home, I want to be here. I want to be here with him. I want to be here with my wife. I want to be fully focused on that. So I make sure that, that that's really important about where my focus is. Um, I only have X amount of time at work. I don't bring my work home with me. I don't do work at night unless I absolutely have to. It's so rare. Um, and it makes me focus at work because I only have a limited time to get stuff done. Um, and when I'm home, I'm fully committed to being at home. Um, after we put him to bed, which is around 830, I'm either in the garage on my bike riding or um, we're setting up the treadmill um, when the weather was better or not as dark early, I go for runs um, and or I'm hanging out with my wife and we talk, um, we decompress. I do a lot of bottles. I, <laughs> I clean the <laughs> bottles. We, we, we share the sort of burden, so to speak. Um, I'm super lucky. My wife um, is she she stays at home and works. Um, so there's a, a lot of pressure that's eased off. He gets a lot of attention. We have a nanny. She's at home. She's such a loving, caring mom. So she gives him a lot of attention. Um, but when we're here with him, we're literally here with him. Like we're not on our phones. We're not talking about things that aren't him centric. Um, on the weekends, um, I basically, we basically do everything but the work part, right? So I get right. up in the morning, I go for a run. Um, I run with him sometimes on the running stroller or I run and then we come back and then we spend all day with him. And that's either reading books, playing with him, going for walks. Uh, we've been traveling to Monterey to take him to the aquarium. We're about ready to take our very first long family vacation back down to San Luis Obispo where we haven't nice. been for a while. Um, those sort of things are really important. We Absolutely. really focus and we dive all in with him. And I think right. that's how we balance the time. I also don't take on projects that I don't, I can't fully commit to. Right. So I don't like take on a side project of work or I don't, um, I don't go on some long vacation or some big work trip unless I can fully commit to it. Um, I, I, I keep the things, maybe three or four things in front of me and that's it. Yeah. That's awesome. Do you find that you were more loose about your time before having a kid? 
Like you would bring work no. home more? Or... <laughs> no, no. Um, when I was younger, yeah, probably. But I learned as a management trait that um, the eight hours or nine hours that you get in the office make those hours count. Like give yourself a deadline every day. Make sure your inbox is at zero as much as possible. Stay in the moment. Take care of things when they come in. Um, because if you keep pushing it to like, oh, I'll take care of it at night, um, you'll be tired or you procrastinate or you just don't do as good enough job. It piles up. Um, I take care of it right as I come in. I probably have a little bit of OCD. I probably have a lot of bit of OCD. <laughs> um, I like a clean inbox. I like taking care of things as they come in. I like to fully focus on the thing right as it, it happens. It gives it a level of importance, which I think it deserves. Um, and then when I come home at night, I can just disconnect, decompress, and then I come in the next day and I'm fresh. You know, I think that is a lesson that I think a lot of new managers need to learn over time. I, 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 you can tell them a thousand times, but I think the reason why it takes this long to become a creative director is because you have to learn that experience of like, what does failure feel like? Um, I'll be honest with you. I did not start as a good creative director. In fact, I would not a creative director that I wanted to be managed by you know, 10 years ago. and just wasn't ready for it. I, it took me a number of years to get to where I wanted to be, to be what I think is a decent boss. I probably have a lot to work on. Um, but it took, I had to go through each of the ranks and they make sense. Um, I think I'm always concerned when people come right out of college and they're immediately art directors, they haven't had that time of that craft and understanding what, an, what the, what the life of a true individual contributor is versus how you have to differentiate between a, a soft skills people manager and an individual contributor. That is that very critical time where you learn how to balance things um, and then you learn like where your priorities lie and how to visually communicate and communicate without showing a comp, like how to talk through a comp or a design with somebody is, uh, it takes time. You know, you have mm -hmm. to get a good, uh, level of understanding of the English language and how to communicate with people. Um, that just takes time and you have to be, I think you honestly have to be a little bit older. Um, I'm glad that we had Max went on. I'm in my early 40s, early to mid 40s. I don't know what 44 is. I guess that's almost <laughs> mid, early mid, uh, mid-century Delman. Um, so like, I, I'm glad that I, we were. I was a little older when we had him because I think I had more realistic expectations. Um, I, I've never expected him to be perfect. I've never expected me to be perfect. Um, I know my wife is amazing. Um, but I know she's different than me and, and I know I'm different and we just bring something different to the table. And I think a lot of that, um, is very similar to the way I manage. Um, I expect my team to be who they are. Um, and I expect, and I don't want to change them for who they are. I want to input a, a high level of communication and then let them do their jobs. Um, I think it sounds nice when people say it, but it's, <laughs> it takes a long time to truly, uh, figure out how to trust people. Um, you know, trust is not the same thing as a guarantee. I always tell people guarantee no, indicates that I know where it's going. Uh, I don't know where it's going most of the time, but I have a good inkling or a good understanding that if I input the right communication to my team, that they got a fighting chance 
and that I trust them and that I do check-ins with them and that we're, you know, design is a team sport. So um, it's not just me directing someone. It's me communicating to that person. It's them bringing the design. It's them asking intelligent questions. Mm -hmm. It's a collaborative venture. Um, I, and I, and once again, I think that took a long time for me to figure out like, what is the value of collaboration? And honestly, what is collaboration that it's more of a listening skill than is a talking skill, um, which is strange because I am clearly a talker. So, (laughs) um, the ability to listen to people is, um, was, was an acquired taste for me. You know, it took, it took me a while. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And um, <clears throat> I know all about making sure my inbox is clean. It's fu- actually Genki and I were talking about that with uh, with inbox, how we love when you just like mark everything done. You get that nice um, uh, sun. Uh, yeah. Anyway, it's like a dopamine thing. A little sun there's animation. Nice... Yeah, it, it yeah. just feels good. <laughs> yeah, there's um, a nice sort of like uh, checkbox accomplishment vibe to it. I love that too. Yeah. Um, Mostly, I, I, I've, I've learned in my job that, look, I, I spend a lot, I have a lot of meetings during the day. It's just nature of the beast. Yeah. Um, I'll probably have maybe 11, 12 meetings a day. Um, a lot of them are one-on-ones. A lot of them are client project meetings. Um, and my inbox fills up, right? Um, mm-hmm. Inevitably. Um, but if it's at zero when I start, then, I, then it's small doses and I can tackle it. No, nothing ever gets overwhelming yeah. because I don't let it get overwhelming. I take right. care of things when they come in. I answer the pertinent things when they need to. I always answer my team first, to be honest with you, um, and, and I, uh, secondarily everything else. Um, I, my job doesn't exist without a team. So um, I know it sounds really nice when people say, oh, I work for you, but I truly believe it. I do work for my team because I don't exist as a job without a team to actually manage. So um, I need to understand that and I need them to understand that they're never bothering me. I think a lot of people see a busy schedule or they see a very large title, whatever the hell my title, largeness is kind of thing. <laughs> um, and they are intimidated. They don't want to They don't want to bother you. It's very polite of them. But honestly, um, you need to break through that and you need to tell people all the time, oh, you know, you're not bothering me. I work for you. It's a pleasure to talk with my designers. It's a pleasure to help them solve things or maybe just be a sounding board sometimes. Um, That's the best part of my gig, you know. Uh, Nobody dies. That's also one of the wonderful things about our gig. Um, If the design isn't quite perfect, uh, nobody dies. I don't work in the ER. Um, I'm not in the military. I'm not a firefighter. Like real, really important jobs. I'm not a teacher. You know, like I am a designer. I get paid to play online. I get to paid to draw all day long, play with colors and shapes. Like it's pretty much a privilege and not nice. a right. So nice. yep. for sure. Yeah, I, at my last job, I was a manager for. Um, I was a software QA manager, and so I had a team, and um, we always talked about you know like well at least we're not testing rocket ships and while we're sending people to the outer space, <laughs> where you know totally. a, a negative test really could um, kill somebody. Um, but yeah, that, that was something that I, I struggled with in my last job just because it was very demanding. There was a lot going on. Um, I always felt like I was drowning because the amount of work was just, um, incredible. And it was one of those where like, I just could not finish my work in eight hours. Um, like I always had to, you know, log on from home and, um, finish up from home. But, you know, and then when we had our son, it's like, um, I'm like, I can't do this. And that was, that was time for me to, to look for a new job because, uh, at the end of the day, you got to put your priorities, um, together. And to me, family is always first. 
So I had to, oh, I had to get out of that. And now, like, I'm, I'm not in a management position. I'm in a, uh, I'm a, a leader. Uh, you can say, uh, basically, a software lead. I'm trying to build a team together, and I, I enjoy that more, uh, just because it's less on the management stuff, and I actually get to be more hands on. But then at the same time, like you said, I'm collaborating with my own team. And I can like basically, okay, you got you get this part of you know um, the the code, you get this part of the code, and then we'll have a retro at the end, and we'll just make sure that everybody you know uh, talking to each other and know what everybody else is doing, and you know it's it's good to actually trust your team and know that you know they're gonna do a good job and if they don't, it's you know like you said, nobody's gonna die. Um, it's just something that we all learn from. Um, but yeah, I, yeah I, I'm an autonomous manager. Um, and what that actually means is I, I put a, a big amount of stock and communication up front. So right. I make sure that I tell my team everything that I can about the project. I try and include them as much as humanly possible in the scoping, the resourcing, the creation of the creative brief, um, what what we've done before, what other groups have done before. Um, we, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of transparency in that process. And right. then I let the team actually do their jobs, you know, mm -hmm. like that is a big part of it. Like it should, I help steer the ship to some extent, but yeah. it is a team sport. And it's, I like when designs don't look like something I would have done. I think that's the important aspect of it is yeah. that there are those happy surprises, that there is that influx of other people's opinions, other people's instincts, where other parts of their lives that they bring into it. Um, that's why I think this revolving conversation we're having right now in, in society around diversity and inclusion is so important, specifically in agency and design environments, because there are so many different um, life experiences that get brought to the table on an any you know any given day that it ultimately changes the end product of the work we're doing and. I mean, I am a white male living in California. There are a lot of me in the tech industry, um, and they're doing very well, and the, the world looks like we're doing this stuff. And I would like some other influences too, and I think the world would benefit from some uh, other influences. And I'll be honest with you, there are a ton of other influences, right? There are so <laughs> many other people who have had so many different life experiences than, than I did that have valid and interesting points of view that will solve things that I'll never even think of. Right. And I right. think bringing all those people into an agency or a product environment is ultimately going to make better products and solve greater problems. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think we all gain, gain something out of it at this point in my life and career. I am thirsty for learning new things and thirsty for new uh, information and new experiences um, because I, I feel like I've, I've learned so much from people around me who were sharing similar life experiences, but I really, really am lusting for things I never thought of. Right. And that's why being a parent, getting back to that point is like, it's so, it was so different because I, I was exposed to things I never would have thought of before. And I, I was open to those things. I was a primed at a point in my life where I was open to like, uh, sure, I'll watch some children's show or um, I never thought about walking and crawling in that way or what's a good children's toy or what's a really 
terrible children's video or any of those things, right? Um, those things are important. They change you as a human being. Um, and so I'm excited to um, have the opportunity at Beyond and other places I've worked at to help um, give a voice to people who haven't had voices before. Uh, honestly, I think it's my responsibility being privileged um, in my sort of my gender and my background and and now my title. Um, I think it's my responsibility and other people like me responsibility to give other people a voice. Because if not who, if not us, who, right? So um, I, I think it's, um, I think it's a big responsibility. I take it very seriously. Um, and I'm excited because I think I, uh, slightly selfishly, I get something out of it, right? I get some knowledge out of it. I get a changing <laughs> worldview. Um, it's one of the reasons we moved up to the Bay Area when our son was about to be born. I wanted uh, different points of view. I wanted my child to be raised in a place that had different points of view. Uh, as beautiful as San Luis Obispo is, and we really did love it there, um, a lot of people looked like us and a lot of people thought like us. Um, and I wanted to be in a place where that wasn't necessarily the truth. You know, yeah. I think it was no, no. Um, not a scary thing to do. It just no, I, no, no. I think I needed to wait until I was older to to realize <laughs> the benefit of those things, you know. Yeah, for sure. So that's like a perfect segue into another question I had for you, which is for those young artists that are coming up trying to break into either the ad agency or the product agency and they want to they want their voice to be heard. You know, I figure you look at a lot of portfolios. You're writing these job descriptions all the time. You know, what are what are you looking for? And for a young young artist, young designer, how can they be? You know, how can their voice stand out among the crowd of sameness? That's a really good question. And you're right. I do. I look at a lot of portfolios a lot. And like I said, recruiting is a big deal. It's an important thing to do at a company. It's a big responsibility, and I take it such. And I understand my own biases in the world. I'm a human being. I have implicit bias just like everyone else. And so I do things specifically to eliminate that. Um, and the first thing I do is the portfolio. Uh, I take a big stock in the portfolio. I don't want to know people's names necessarily. I don't really want to look at their resume at first. I don't want to, I don't want, I don't want to be uh, steered in any way other than the thing that that person actually had 100% control over, and that is their portfolio. That, it, to me, is an opportunity for them to say to the world, uh, this is what I would do if I was in charge. This is my portfolio. I'm art directing myself. These are the projects that I think best reflect me. If I haven't worked at a certain place, I created this work that's my own personal work, or I redesigned something that I'm using in the world. Let's say you're a big fan of LinkedIn and you're like, I want to redesign LinkedIn. Well, put that in your portfolio if you don't have enough work in your portfolio. Like, how would you solve problems? Um, what I'm looking for is what would you do if you got a meaty problem to solve? What is your point of view? Um, and then walk me through how you solve the problem. Tell me what the problem is. Tell me what you did to solve it. And tell me what you learned from it. Um, I think that's an honest approach to doing case studies. Um, you don't have to create a company. You don't have to create a brand. You know, you can't. You don't necessarily have to have meaty projects, but you do control your own portfolio. There are so many good portfolio tools out there um, that you can use. If you're not a coder, you could use Squarespace. You could use even Wix if you like. I'm a big fan of Simplice. It's WordPress. Um, Simplice is kind of a WYSIWYG 
uh, for uh, uh, WordPress. I'm probably saying it wrong. It's probably Simplice, Simplice, whatever. It's <laughs> wonderful. Um, but I really, I, I don't like the half-assed portfolio. I think it says a lot about the designer themselves. Um, right. Use the portfolios like what, use it as a scenario of like, what would I do if I were in charge? Have it speak for you when you can't, if I didn't know your name and I didn't know where you're from and I didn't know where you'd been or what school you went to, show me the work, right? Show me your design chops. And that's, to me, that's where I start. Um, I, 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 I make sure we black out all the other things because that's the thing you have the most control over. And I honestly, I think everyone deserves that fair shake at least to get in the door based off the thing they fully control. Absolutely. And then from that point, then we start to have a conversation of who you are on a cultural level and be honest. Like, who are you? What are you into? <clears throat> what do you love? Don't be afraid to be a design geek. Don't be afraid to, you know, tell me what you don't like. Tell me what, you know, tell me where you want to go in your, your career. Like, that's cool. Like, I, I, I think that we, we're all design geek to some, to some extent, you know, in my, my field. Uh, don't ever lose that. You don't have to pretend to be cool or hate something. Like, I, wanna, I want people to be known for what they love versus what they hate. Um, so, you know, you hear on this podcast, I'm talking about all these things that I love, right? I'm into mm -hmm. some police. I'm into Mary Blair. I'm into that Be Internet Awesome site. Like, that's, that's who I am. I love things. And honestly, I want to work around people who love things too. Yeah, no, that's, that's very well said. And um, it's funny, like in, in software dev, um, like people who apply basically for a position, they don't really submit a portfolio. And I'm assuming that in the, uh, in the creative um, industry, you basically submit, I'm assuming a portfolio and a resume to go along with it. Am I correct? Yeah. Of okay. course, yes, yeah. and, and and the resume is important. Of uh, you know, it matters, but right, uh, it's, but it's not everything. It's, it's not. It's I'll be honest. It's not even ten yeah. percent of what I care about. Right. Um, I care about what you've done or who you are as a designer. Like, show me the work. I I mean, I want you control your portfolio. Nobody's telling you not to design X, Y, or Z. It's right. blue sky for you. Like, what would you do if you were in charge? It's the yeah. greatest explanation of who you are as a designer is your portfolio. Yeah. And then that's kind of the, with that, that I... said, I'm not a big fan of my own portfolio. <laughs> <laughs> Let me and see it'll never be done. And every designer will always tell you, Oh, you know, they give you this sort of legalese of like, it's not done. It's not quite there. And I totally get that. Yeah. Um, I'll be the first to admit that. Like, it's not quite what I want. I would, I'm always geeking out about somebody yeah. else's work. Um, you know, grass is always greener, but um, at the time, it was what I wanted. You know, it took a long time. It took me three, four months to make my portfolio, and I think it should. Yeah, it should, definitely. Because uh, a lot of us, you know, in the creative work, like, we're never, like, 100%, like, just satisfied with our work. We, we always feel like, oh, I, I can just add one more thing, you know, or I can, I can make this better. Um, but just going back to, you know, um, uh, with the resumes, like for me, I usually look for certain things that I want this person to know or at least have experience in. And if the resume checks it, 
then I move on to the next thing. I'm like, all right, bring them in. And my interviews is just really just having a conversation. I hate, I hate those, you know, very, your, your very typical interview with like, um, what would you do, you know, if, um, you know, something like doesn't work that way. I'm like, no, tell me about what you did. Uh, what was the best part that you enjoyed? Um, how would you handle this kind of situation? It's is that conversation. It, it, I feel like for them, it makes them feel more comfortable because they feel like they're just, you know, um, having a conversation with somebody versus like taking an, a, you know, a verbal exam. Um, and it, it just puts everybody in, in a better mindset and you actually get a better understanding of uh, their knowledge and what type of personality they have than if you just went with the traditional interview questions. So, well, you yeah. hopefully want to work with this person, right? Yeah, hopefully yeah. it's going to end with them getting the job. You're going to want to see them every day. Right. So um, I like people to leave interviews feeling like it was a fun conversation. I yeah. don't like people to be stressed out in interviews. I don't like to cause stress in them. In fact, I like them to ask me a lot of questions. I also I realize that this is a very competitive market, a very competitive world. Yeah. Um, and I know that they're interviewing us as much as we're interviewing them. And I respect that. Um, and I say that up front to people like, I know you're interviewing us. Please ask me anything you want. What do you want to know about us? Right? Like, I don't like these imbalanced sort of conversation where I feel like the company feels like they have something on you. It's not. And I want to break that down real quick. This is this is a partnership. This is a relationship business, mm -hmm. and that you're interviewing us as much as we're interviewing you. So you ask away. I, I'm. I, we're all about transparency, and I want someone to feel like that was really easy. That was really fun. I want to work with that person because mm -hmm. that's what I want to get out of a conversation. Absolutely. Um, I figure you did all your hard work to get in the door in the first place. So why why should this be stressful? Yeah. Right like the the tough part is already done like this should be easy like just having a conversation and you can tell a lot about a person about the questions that they ask too so when you open oh, that totally. door to them and, and tell them well ask me anything ask away and you can totally get um how they think uh, what what some of the things that they value because those are the things that come out in, in their questions uh, when they ask them Agreed. And, and I, and if I, I've interviewed at places, you know, obviously I've mm -hmm. worked at places, interviewed at places and I, I like interviewing them as much as they're interviewing me. Right. Like yeah. I like conversations with human beings. That's why I do this for a living. That's why I like still being in the agency space um, is because there's a lot, it's a partnership a lot of times. And like, I want to know who people are because I want to spend more time with them than I do at home. Right. Like, <laughs> I want to like these people. I want to get to know who they are. I want them to get to know who I am, right? Like, and just walking them through like a project I did, it's fine. And I think there's a value in that. But um, I like just super honest conversations. I, I interviewed one place and they asked me, what's the worst job you ever had? I love that question because it made <laughs> me think. Yeah. And I'll expose just sort of like who I was. And I mean, I ultimately didn't take the job at that place for a number of reasons, but not because that question or not because they were bad people, you know, like it was, they were really interesting and they changed who I was as a person. And I think that's, that's what I strive to do in interviews. I want someone to walk away going, that was interesting. I never thought about things that way. That's cool. Mm -hmm. You know, like I think that we're only on this planet for a brief amount of time anyway. We might as well might help as well. those around us as much as possible. Right, right. right. <laughs> um, 
Cool. Well, I mean, the, the last question that we had for you is uh, what's your you know advice to anybody who wants to become a, um, a creative director? But I feel like you kind of already answered that um, in, in, in the previous question. So I want to I want to go with like, you know, just as a dad, let's say, you know, your son is going to let's say follow your steps and grow up to be a, in, in the creative world. Like what would be your advice to Max? Oh, uh, well, <laughs> I don't know if he's going to follow my steps. I, I would want him to do his own thing, right? Because I fell into this field. Um, I went to school for something completely different than what I do for a living. I have a degree in biology. Um, and I started this career when the internet basically started in 1997, or at least around that time when it started to become a profession. Um, any other time period, I don't know if I would have been doing what I do. I'm glad that I do what I do. Um, the way it's got to be tougher to get into this industry now than ever, you know, than when I got in, right? Because there was no rules when I got in. So we were able to fail, you know, I got hired and nobody did what I did. You know, my mentor was like, you're smart, you'll figure it out. Nobody would hire someone with no cold fusion experience, no design experience to work there, right? (laughs) Like that's just not going to happen anymore. So um, I would, I don't want to knock schools because I, I do think there's a value in school, but I, I really want Max to go to school to learn about how to be an adult and to learn how to get different points of view from other people. And I really don't care what his degree is. It doesn't matter to me. I want him to go to school because I want him to just meet people he never would have met before and to shape his worldview. And if he still wants to do this, I want him to do this because he loves doing this. Um, if you're coming out of school and you love art, and you love design, and you know what, you find yourself doing this, and you don't care if someone pays you to do this or not, you're still going to be doing this, then this is the right career for you. Like I said that 20 years ago, and it probably, oh my God, it was like 21 years ago, I started this career. <laughs> um, and I still believe it. You know, if someone didn't pay me to do this, would I still be doing this? Absolutely. I just cannot help but design. I cannot help but geek out on websites and be part of the design community. Um, it's something that I just love. There's a visceral feeling. There's a tingly feeling I get. I have to share designs when I see them. I'm on Slack all the time. I'm on LinkedIn all the time, sharing insights and design. I just can't help it because it's interesting to me. I feel like there's such interesting ideas and interesting things being solved in the world that it's like a gold mine. I feel like I have to tell everyone about it. Um, if you feel that way as a designer, then this is the right place for you, right? Um, have a point of view um, and, and have it be based off the things you love, not the things you hate. Um, early designers a lot of times feel like they have to prove you know, that they're great designers by telling you how much they hate Comic Sans or how much you know Helvetica's played out or what kind of music sucks. Um, I don't really listen to that kind of stuff. I really would rather listen to people telling me how much they love Pixar or how much they're into like parallax scrolling or whatever they're into. Like, you know, tell me how much you love it and tell me why you love it. you know, and like, what's going on in your mind? You know, like, how do you, how are you changing every day? You don't have to pick a pony and stick with it forever. You know, like I change all the time. Like what I'm into this year is different than what I was into last year. And that's why my portfolio is always going to change. Like I'm into different design now than it was last year. Um, stay interested, you know, stay into design. Design is changing. It doesn't have to be like 
you know, what everybody else is into too. Like there are certain things that I'm like, I don't get it. I'm not into it. It's not that cool to me, but I get why other people like it. And there's mm-hmm. certain things I'm like, I love this. I have to share this with everybody, you know? And like, that's part of what makes us us, right? Like designers are brave. They take chances. They're bold. They have a point of view, you know, they care about people. They care about the people who look at their stuff. They care about the people they work with. Like, Empathy is a big deal, you know, and so wear that on your sleeve, wear that on, you know, wear that out and about. And that's that's your greatest gift as a designer, you know, love openly. Uh, it sounds corny, but it really <laughs> no, I love uh, it. The, the best managers I've had, my current manager, um, managers before me, um, they've influenced me based off the things they love. You know, and the trust they've given me and, you know, they got to know me and they got to know what I'm into and they influenced me and I influenced them. That's that's good. That's important. Um, Be that person. I think that's a, I think the world needs more of those people. And I think the world Absolutely. needs more designers. I agree. Yeah. Totally agree. I think those insecurities of, you know, trying to fit into the current trends and, you know, hating on Comic Sans that a lot of a lot of those qualities that you see of people putting out when they're new to design or new to their careers, you know, those insecurities are just kind of like shields of trying to hide who their true self is. But really what the rest of the world and what the industry wants is for everyone to be their own person and show what each person loves. And those, those tiny combinations of each thing that you love makes you who you are and makes your work unique. And that's how you're going to kind of shine through all the noise and get hired to where you want to get hired or get the work that you want to get. Totally. I once got a job basically because I talked this dude's ear off about how much I love Flash and all the cool things about Flash. Let's be honest, I'd only worked in Flash for three months and I didn't know how how to do most of the stuff I was talking about. But I was super enthusiastic. I had a point of view. I cared. I really, truly cared about it. And the guy sensed it and he gave me a job and I taught myself flash and I, you know, it's infectious. People want to listen to other people who are truly passionate about something, you know, be passionate. And if people think you talk too much, then maybe you're doing something right. I mean, I've honestly been told I talk too much a lot Um, and I get it. Um, And I do, (laughs) but, uh, but I'm openly passionate about it. And I think as design leaders and creative leaders, I think it's our responsibility to give coverage to people to be geeks and nerds and talk openly and passionately about things we love. Um, one of the things I'm most proud of is uh, going on to Slack at work and sharing design, you know, opening the floodgates for other people to share what they're into. I like if they say, see that I'm doing it, since you then it's not huge. intimidating. Since you've left our Slack channel at work, that <laughs> amount of like shared awesome content has considerably gone down. Like you said, that <laughs> that door that opened to let other people know that it's okay to share, it's almost closed. And I'm constantly grabbing you gotta at the designers. Push it. Yeah. I'm like, come on guys, give me some inspiration here. But yeah. <laughs> Open that door, Genki. Yeah, we miss I, it. I, I, I grew up at a weird time in the internet when um I went to K10K and Design is Kinky and um, God linked up and all these places. And there were all these like design 
forums, right? And it was just all about sharing what you think is cool. And like, that's just sort of how I learned how to be a vocal designer of like, just link sharing constantly and just saying, hey, I'm into this. Hey, this is cool. What do you think? And like, it never left me. I, I, I've, I just cannot help. But when I see cool things, I just I need to tell somebody and I need to share it. And I just want to like I want people to be like, yeah, I totally feel that, you know, like right. I, I just get that weird tingly geek out moment. Like that's what I love about our industry. It's like I get paid to surf <laughs> online, looking at cool sites, talking about cool sites and just inspiring people. It's so fun, so yeah. much fun. I wish there was an actual job where like someone would be like, I just want you to find cool sites and go on Slack and send it to people. Like I would totally do that job. I would totally do that job. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Uh, well, this is, this was great. Um, everything you said is like perfectly on point. I, I love, uh, I would love to talk to you even more actually, but I think, uh, I think it's time for the, for the podcast, for this episode. Uh, definitely enjoyed having you um on with us and just uh sharing your experience and as a as a creative and as a dad um and yeah um it looks like uh genki you had a loss that huge when he left <laughs> yeah absolutely hey can i have a suggestion um sure. for the podcast um can it be creative parents because i work with a lot of really rock star creative moms and yeah. um i i'm i you know I, the power of great female creative leaders has really changed me over the past, let's say four years. I, I had a my, beginning of my career was like all dudes, all people kind of like me. And I ended up working with some really amazing um, female partners and creative leaders. And they really, truly changed the way I think of things. And I'm really, really excited about that. Um, and I would just love to have more influences or yeah. get more female yeah, creative leaders, get vocal um, there's some great um, influencers in the world like Erica Lutz at, at Lumosity. Mm -hmm. um, my boss, Karen Pascoe, um, is amazing. I've been, I grew up around uh, Mary Blair artwork, Susan Kerr, mm -hmm. uh, super influenced, Polisher, all these people. Like I Absolutely. don't have a career without these amazing influencers. And I would love to – I'm always looking for more strong, intelligent, creative female voices in the world. So Absolutely. I would love to – if you guys would make this like creative parents, just not just creative. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Genki and I, we did talk about um, having even creative moms on here. Um, and I, I guess the name came like just more about Genki and I, like we're the creative dads <laughs> and we just started a podcast type of thing, but yep. we're, yeah, absolutely um, open to having all creatives on, on this podcast. Not just, uh, not just the dads, because like I said, there's a lot of um, great female uh, creatives. And I think Genki, you said you know a couple too that you think you can oh, yeah. bring on on the podcast. So yeah, I know um, a, I know a few, and then I have like all the all the big shot stars out there that we'll try to get on this show. Oh, um, for sure, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Those big shot stars in their highfalutin castles. Yep. Yeah, your polishers <laughs> cool, cool. and like yeah. <laughs> well, thanks guys. Um, it was a super big pleasure, and thanks thanks for reaching out. Um, this is my first podcast, so uh, hey, hopefully awesome. maybe hopefully this isn't my last because this has been a blast. Yeah, it was yeah, great. we'll, great we'll definitely have you back um, at some point. But now for those for those listeners who want to know more about you, they want to see your work. Where can they find you on the internet and social media? 
Um, uh, johndelman.com, J-O-N-D-E-L-M-A-N. That's my portfolio site that I'm slightly embarrassed about. Um, <laughs> I'm on Dribble. Um, I think as John Delman, uh, that's just the stuff I do outside of work. Um, stuff I, I design some Converse stuff, some cups, some skate decks. I'm big skate geek. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. To follow me on LinkedIn, I, I like to post a lot of articles, a lot of times. Um, it's everywhere I'm at. Yeah, that's everywhere I'm at. Yeah, we'll put all the links in <laughs> the show so notes. There's only so much social media stuff I could be on, you know. So <laughs> right, right. No, I'm awesome. on Twitter. Um, but, um, all the stuff that I post on LinkedIn is the same stuff I post on Twitter. So LinkedIn's much better. Long yeah. form. So long form. I, I hear you. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you so much. Thanks guys. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. You. We'll talk to you later. Thank you. Ciao. Bye-bye. Thanks again for listening. Please join in on the conversation and feel free to send your questions or thoughts to us on Twitter and Instagram at The Creative Dads. You can follow me at Genki Hagata and you can follow Adil at Adil Constantine. We'll put our names in the show notes. Make sure you please rate us up on iTunes or the podcaster of choice. It really helps us be found and grow the podcast to other listeners like you. Until then, we'll see you on the social media. Bye for now.